Right. Joy is, yeah, that's exactly right. I'm, I'm, so we're talking about relational joy here and that, that the quality of our intimacy determines the depth of our joy. And the, the word happy comes from happenstance. It comes from circumstance. So happy is a circumstantial thing that, that rises or falls based upon every minute. You know, any, anything could happen to mess up your happiness. But joy is a much deeper supernatural bubbling spring from within you that defies circumstances. That's why, um, that's why it's so critical that we get this relational piece together because they're inseparable. Relationship and joy is inseparable. Now here's the thing. Every part of your being was built for relationship and your brain is basically a pleasure center. So your brain was built at a molecular le level for intimacy. And everything about your body, soul, and spirit is wired for connecting. How's that one? So as we were talking today down in the basement, we were having kind of an orientation, discipling, equipping time. And I was saying that, um, I was just describing the state of the church today. That the church has drifted for many, many years into being defined by a building. We go to church. Something we go to. It's been defined by meetings or programs or events or and it's been defined by professional clergy full-time clergy it hasn't been defined as people coming together in unity of mind heart and life organically in intimate relationships around Jesus for each other and to bring his kingdom on earth it's been hijacked. The definition of church has been hijacked and it's ripped us off. So we've all been taught to function outside of relationships in self-reliance and, and, and just basically around utilitarian life. And what we're trying to recover is the potency, the significance of intimacy and relationship and why that's so important and why that's so difficult. All right, so um, let me refer to um, the key to maturing as a person, the key to growing as a person in, this, in the implemental stages of development is relationships. You cannot mature into who you are outside of intimacy. You'll stagnate or stall out in your life if your relationships aren't fully functioning in health. So your developmental health into Christ's likeness is directly proportionate to the quality of your relationships. And I'm going to explain that in a minute. Not to mention the degree of your impact on the earth is directly tied to relationships. 
So, in other words, intimacy and impact are completely and totally reliant on the quality of your relationships with God, yourself, and others. So, I'm going to explain what I mean here. As, as a child, you were, you were developed in, you were supposed to have been conceived in the context of covenant. Where two people treasured and valued you before you were even born. And as you were born, the father, the significant other, and the mother were to have surrounded your body and soul and spirit with a culture of affection and delight. Developmentally, your brain could not grow unless you are deeply loved, kissed, and coddled and held. Your brain doesn't even grow. The right side of your brain, the most significant part of your central cortex and your right side of your brain do not develop outside of touch and, and whispers and, and, and conversations. And when babies fail to grow, in fact, they fail to thrive, uh, babies actually die apart from touch and holding and caressing. It's called failure to thrive. Now that need for affection and intimacy doesn't ever leave you. You're, you were, you, to develop as a person, you must have the stimulation that comes from affection and delight. The right side of your brain, the most significant side of your brain, can detect and discern whether it's delighted in. And it controls your emotional intelligence, your relational intelligence. Now, if you haven't been delighted in day in and day out, affection day in and day out, your brain actually atrophies. And you learn to rely on the left side of your brain, which is the more engineering and mathematical side. And you exist, you go through the motions of life, you pay your bills, you show up at work, and you go through the motions, but something is deeply missing in your development and formation. So here's the deal. God is highly committed to transforming you into the likeness of Christ. He wants to move you from glory to glory. He wants to shape you into the fruit of the Spirit, the wisdom and revelation of the Spirit, and the power of the Spirit. God wants you to grow up and mature and become a teleos, woman or man. And teleos means complete, mature. It's the end tele telescope. It's the end of the, the game. It's the end game. The end game is for you to be a mature man or woman in the kingdom. But that does not happen outside of meaningful relationships. So here's a verse. Philip, Colossians 1.28. Paul says, I proclaim Christ. I admonish and teach everyone with all wisdom so that we might present everyone perfect in Christ. And it goes on and to say that the power that is at work in me, the Spirit of God, partners with me, the Spirit and the Word and the body move together to shape your maturity. Can somebody look that up? Colossians 1, uh, 28. Colossians 1, 28. I want to look at that just a second. 
basically setting the stage for how God wants to mature you in the kingdom. Whoop. Yes, please. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Keep going. To this end, I strenuous, strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Okay, is that a crazy statement? It's a partnership between him and the Holy Spirit to raise people in the Lord. Philippians 1.8. Um, can somebody turn to that? Philippians 1.8. Your computer's wigging out. I don't know what's going on. I've got it here. You got it? God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. My version goes... God can testify how I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. And this is my prayer, verse 9, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So, it takes three powerful dynamics converging to produce a mature son or daughter of God. Those three dynamics are you need the Word of God, which is active and living. You need the Spirit of God, which is the presence and power of the person of the Holy Spirit. And you need the people of God, the family of God. You will not, cannot grow into the likeness of Jesus without those three, those three powerful realities converging all at the same time upon you. Now here's our tension. The church has somewhat understood the power of the Bible, the power of the Word. The evangelical church rediscovered the Bible. The church somewhat understands the power of the Holy Spirit in the charismatic movement, the third wave revival, to some degree. But the church has not recovered the definition of what it's supposed to be to each other and because of that limited view, we're all spiritual pygmies. We're all underdeveloped. We're not functioning at the pace and rate we need to be. So what we're going to talk about today is the church as a family and the church as the ecclesia. And those two things, I want to emphasize the, the intimacy side of the church and the impact side of the church. Those two things, the intimacy side of the church, the impact side of the church. Um, what we're rediscovering here today and, and, and trying to move toward is recovering the church's family. This is huge because everyone that we've assembled, that God, we, that God has assembled into this church is broken. There's not one person that has come to this family that isn't deeply broken. We're, we're dealing with people that were broken because of commission and omission. So here's the problem. If it takes the family to get, make us healthy and all of us are unhealthy, how are we going to help each other be healthy? 
Are you tracking with me? We're called to be early adopters in the paradigm shift of the church. So God is going to rally together broken people and together by the supernatural help of God, we need the tools and the resources to learn how to do relationships really, really well because every one of our destinies and every one of our maturities and every one of our deliverances require that we get into healthy relationships. Okay, let me go back to an, your brain anatomy because your brain was built for the kingdom. We know now, because we can scope the brain, we can track neurological pathways in the brain, we know that the right side of your brain is the most sophisticated side. But that's your relational side. That's your emotional intelligence. That's your, that's your conscience. That's your artistic side. That's your imagination. That's your emotion. That is the fastest running piece of your brain, is your right side. Your intuition. Your and that's the part that's supposed to be your leader. The, 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 the physiological entity that leads you is your brain, is the right side of your brain. Your left side is your manager, your technician, your math, mathematician. It, it does the stuff that you need it to do to function in life. If the left side of the brain is left to itself and dominates, it will literally shut down the function of your right side. It will dominate and shut it down. The only way your right side gets triggered is if it's being delighted in unconditionally. In other words, your brain is only functioning part in part due to the traumatization in your life. And every person has been traumatized by life. We've all been underloved. We've all been um, under-affectioned. So either we've had things committed against us that were bad or things were withheld from us that we needed. Omission or commission. So we're all limping along with our brains partially functioning. The only thing that's going to trigger rapid development emotionally and spiritually and relationally is if you get around people that delight in you consistently, love you and bombard you with the grace of God out of their, they emit it out of their spirit. Because your right brain can detect if you're delighted in or not. But if it detects an agenda, if it says, oh, they're just hugging me because they want something from me. They just see me as, some, as a means to their end. Or if, you're, if the devil whispers that and challenges the motive of someone else, then it shuts back off and it invalidates the attention you're getting. Or, most of us are so broken that our receiver muscles are underdeveloped. Therefore, when we are being legitimately bombarded with affection, it's not landing on our brain and in our spirit because we have learned to function in an orphan state, in a survival mode. Um, have you guys ever heard of hoarding? Hoarders, there's a whole show built on hoarding. Hoarding is an orphan behavior that says, I'm not sure where the next gizmo is going to come from, where the next food is going to come from, or the next toy is going to come from, and so I'm going to collect things in order to um, secure me and strengthen my identity. So everything you purchase becomes an extension of your identity. So hoarders 
accumulate masses of things to secure them. It's like overeating, except it's over, it's over collecting stuff. And they can't get rid of it because everything is an attachment uh, to a place of meaning. That's what hoarding does. So hoarders, hoarders are trying to fill up an empty place on the inside with external things on the outside. Because they cannot freely receive on the inside. So they have to freely gather things on the outside. Now most people are orphaned in some way or another. So we're all a little bit hoarders in the sense that we don't know how to freely receive life on the inside of us. So we accumulate, so we try to do things outwardly to, to try to jam something inwardly and it never works. In my case, it was performance. It was workaholism. It was achievement. If I achieve enough and win enough, then I will be able to get something inside of me that wasn't put there by my father and mother. So I was driven to achieve. I was a hoarder. How was I hoarding? Not stuff. Achievements. I was hoarding achievements. And I was an overachiever, so I would get medals, and I would get ribbons, and I would get plaques, and I would get... And, and I, but you know what? As soon as I got the blue ribbon, as soon as I got the medal or the trophy, I was, I was honestly so addicted to performing that I'd have to go out and keep... I was never satisfied with anything I ever did. Even if I was a high top of my class, even if I was this, or even if I was that, it never paid off. It, nothing landed. And so if people would touch me or love me, it never landed as affection. Because that side of my brain was understimulated. Tracking with me? It took lots of therapy and inner healing and clinical help for me to begin to get my right side awakened enough to where the that where I was de-orphaned just enough to be able to receive affection. But even as an ordained pastor, as a leader of a church, and successfully accruing lots and lots of people, so to speak, gathering them in, the, in our events, in our meetings, I was still a deeply empty person. And, and, that, and that, that empty place was getting filled with inappropriate things. Because I didn't know how to be intimate with Jesus and I didn't know how to be intimate with people. So Jan and I marry and now we've got two broken people married and she's not great at intimacy and I'm not great at intimacy and for 42 years we've been working on this thing called being one of heart and learning how to love each other and feed each other's spirit and hug each other and hold each other and re-put back into to our minds and souls and bodies the nutrients we didn't get. Now, when I started getting the revelation that the church was supposed to be a tribe, you know, God called a broken father, a broken man, to be a father in a family, and I had to begin to... I didn't understand that when we were gathering people, the degree of the orphanness that was in most people, including myself. So we've been on a long journey of trying to develop whatever it would take to create a culture of affection and love and joy enough to jumpstart people in their brokenness. So every new church created new challenges.
And this one is just as challenging. It's awesome, but it's just as challenging. And we're trying to plant a church in a very sensual, self-absorbed, and narcissistic state. That's not church. It's a not ch this is not a church state. It's not the Bible Belt. It's a lot of shock, you know. I mean, we don't have the Word here. We barely have the Spirit. And we definitely don't have deep, intimate, healthy relationships. So we're trying to do something super supernatural. Somebody needs to break through so that we're freely receiving and freely giving on the intimacy level. Now, I want to recommend something. Um, this is a group of people that for 30 years have been trying to cultivate how do you do, how do you heal traumatized and broken people? And they started the, 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 the shepherd's house and they began meeting with brain scientists, neurologists, psychiatrists, psychologists, spiritual, you know, you know, um, like Dallas Willard types, discipling experts, faith formation experts, developmental science, and they started trying to put their minds together of how do you take somebody that's broken and do recovery? Somebody that's been traumatized. So they started a recovery ministry with desperately broken people that were acting out their desperation in drug addiction, sex addiction, every kind of addiction you can imagine, including religion. Probably one of the most addictive things is religion. It's very dysfunctional. There's nothing more dangerously addictive than religion because you can give a false sense of spirituality because you accumulate biblical information. You go to certain meetings. You pray for certain things. Religious performance is addictive. And the church will reward you for religious performance. Did you lead that meeting? Did you, did you take that position in the church? Did you give that money? Did you show up and do that activity? There's a lot of pro, pro, quid, pro, quid, quid pro quo pay to play in the religious system. There's a payoff for performance in the church. You tracking with me? So religion is addictive and dangerous because it sounds like God when it isn't. You got a bunch of orphans leading the system who attract orphans and they're now um, dry drunks that have created a performance-based culture. Pretty sick. Now, this group of people bro has broken through. And over 30 years, they've been developing an understanding of the stages of development and the crisis that comes when, e when a person is breaking through to the next stage. The kind of healing that has to happen. The kind of emotional stimulation you need to get. The kind of therapeutic community you need to be in. The kind of affection you need to, to absorb. And it's, it's probably one of the most sophisticated groups of people I've ever run across. That for 30 years have been getting this body of material ready just to hand to me. I, I feel so blessed. And just to hand to you. Because God helped us set up the seven spheres of relational love you know, in twos and threes and MKFs, he's had and set up a, a, a tribal 
theology. He's had us learn and understand the role of affection. But we didn't have as many of the sophisticated tools as we've needed to accelerate people's healings and recovery. This group is doing that. And Kim, I think you're, you're reading this book. What's it doing for you? Yep. Exactly what we're trying to do. They have language, mm -hmm. super duper language, to explain what we're trying to pull off with specific practice behaviors, specific, almost like assignments. They, it sounds like weird, but if you're trying to recover someone from nothing, little minute micro assignments actually help. Like I give people assignments go hug three people and mean it. Or little assignments where you're you're going counter to your you're going counterintuitive and it may feel contrived, but we're breaking out of in unconscious incompetence in the relational department to being consciously unconscious. And so in order to move progressively into relationship skills, you first of all recognize that you're unconsciously incompetent. You're emotionally unintelligent and don't even know it. Your spiritual IQ and your emotional IQ is, and your personal brokenness is so deep, you don't even know that you're, a, you're an internal sunburn waiting to be hurt. You've got massive puffs pockets on the soul that one touch, one bad experience, and it could set you in a tailspin because you're that wounded and don't know it. So there's an unconscious incompetence in the people that have been gathered in this room. Suddenly we start talking about affection and love and receiving and giving. Now I'm unconsciously, now I'm consciously incompetent. That's a great breakthrough. It's painful, but it's awesome. It's like, I'm sicker than I thought. Well, praise God, you were always sick. Now it's good, at least you know it. Then you start working to be consciously competent. And that takes deliberate steps of practice. Every nurse has to do it. Everyone that rides a bicycle or rides a horse or grows a goat, they learn you got to be, there's a, or build a goat shed. There is a, there's a competency that you learn by being conscious. You have to practice skiing. You have to practice. And it looks contrived. And it looks fake. But it isn't fake. If your intention is to be a good lover, it's okay to fake it till you make it. Now, you're not faking it. You're actually practicing till you make it. And I tell, I tell women and men when we're practicing marriage skills and communication skills, sometimes it looks very contrived. Now, you will stop, you will shut up, you will listen to this person, and you will feed back at an emotional level what they just said. Well, I feel like that's, you know, that's faking. No, it's not. It's practicing communication skills. Then you move to being unconsciously competent. You can do it in your sleep. Now, I am going to recommend that you search for this and start reading it. I know I'm always recommending stuff, but this is going to fast track us into being better at relationships. Now, if you don't want to do it, that's fine. You're not going to be a lesser citizen of the Rand family if you don't. It's okay. But it's called Living from the Heart Jesus Gave You. 
by about a bunch of authors. James Wilder, James Friesen, and a bunch of others. This corresponds with Carolyn Leaf's research on who switched off my brain. So it's not just brain science, it's relational science. With Christians, they're all Christians. What was that website again? Because I, I was telling you, I tried to find it. It's one of those books where they yeah. will not find it. Like on a Kindle edition? It's hard to find. Actually, there is a Kindle edition. Yeah, there is a Kindle edition. It's joystartshere.com. Joystartshere.com. What they're saying is this. The brain was built for pleasure and joy. The spirit was built for pleasure and joy. We to love God and, to, and enjoy Him forever. You were built for, pleasure, for joy and pleasure. Which comes from love. Love equals joy. The degree of your relationships and your love transmits into joy. You can't get joy outside of love. So that means you better learn to love if you want joy. And your brain craves joy. That's why we go find it in a thousand other ways besides the right way. The right way is real love. The wrong way is eros, which is using people, or using things, or using drugs, or using work, or using religion. So eros is a counterfeit love that uses things to put something from the outside in. Real love connects at the heart and, and has God's love shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, Romans 5.5, 5, transmits that affection from one connected heart to another so that it's freely receiving and freely giving. And you can detect in, in nanoseconds whether your spirit is absorbing affection or not. You're that sophisticated. If you're somewhat healthy. Now, if you have um, what they call um, psychologically, it's... Um, not deprivation, dis disassociation. If you're operating in some measure of disassociation, which is what people do to survive, if they have a traumatic experience, they disassociate from their dad and mom and they create their own inner world. And their own wor inner world is their own story and they become self-reliant and independent or isolated. It's a, it's a disassociation. And people are, every one of you, the minute you experience some kind of rejection or trauma, disassociated in order to survive because you couldn't take the pain. So disassociation means that you've been dulled and hurt in your ability to reconnect relationally. And that is the scariest thing on the planet because the very thing that caused you the pain in order and produced the disassociation is the very relationships that you're going to now have to re-enter and start to reconnect to get the, to get the love stuff going. So that's why many are called and few are chosen. You know why? Because many are called, but few refuse to say yes and die the death it's going to take to re-enter into the relationships and the disappointments and the hope sickness on the journey to learn to love. So we're gathering 30, 40 people in a room and we're saying, or together in relationship and going, ready, go, here's a bunch of broken people we don't know how to freely receive really well. We don't know how to freely give. We don't know the rules and the technologies of relationships. Even though we're Christians for 40 years, know the Bible, have touched the Holy Spirit, we stink at relationships. 
I'm talking about compared to heaven. Now, I know all of you are no, no, I'm awesome at love. Well, compare yourselves to the right plumb line. Jesus. Not the church. Not your, not your relatives. Definitely not me, not us. Compare, make the plumb line Jesus and the kingdom of God in heaven. In which case, the atmosphere is literally thick with affection. The joy is so intoxicating, you won't be able to stand up. You'll feel drunk in the presence of the Lord. In the presence of the Lord and in the presence of God's healthy people, you'll be so intoxicated you could hardly function. You'll be so happy. The church should be the happiest, funnest place on earth. Why? Because it's the most intimate. There should be a lubricant of affection and joy flowing through you to where you're almost giddy. You're intoxicated with life. When our church gets there, I would say we've probably got some level of unconscious competence in the love department. So at this point, we're all beginners, and so let's not get offended and disappointed when no one pulls it off very well. Can we agree to that? That we've gathered a bunch of orphans who are hoarders and broken and traumatized and disassociated. I'm just making it easy on you. I'm just saying, in other words, I, the, the, no, everybody gets in. I don't care how jacked up you are. I don't care, really, honestly. So don't try to pretend or, or false diagnose yourself. Most of us aren't that great. We're more, most of us are insecure and full of rejection and driven and all, all kinds of things. Some of us fight, some of us flight. Janet does both. Sometimes she does flight, sometimes she does fight. Which one would you say you're more, more of, a flighter or a fighter? I'm getting more of a fighter. Yeah, when I met her, she was a, she was a shut down flight. When conflict, she was a pain avoider and flight, fl fled. Most people... That's the example. Is stuff it and, and leave and run and hide. Don't show up. Avoid the people that could hurt you. How many of you are, are, are flighters? You're fleas. You're fleers. You're conflict avoiders. Raise your hand. Okay, that's Dan. I'm gonna no, raise your hand. If you're a conflict avoider, that would be Dan, that would be Kim, that would be Sue, that would be Amanda, Duff. Yeah, that's definitely Om uh, Mono. <laughs> Can't, yeah, that's. Oh, I disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's. Okay, so most of us in the room, we're flights. How many of you are fighters? Well, you're. Be well, that's because you've lived with me 42 years. Rod, you're a fighter. Jessica, you're a fighter. Who else is fighters? You're a fighter. You're a fighter, Frank. Yeah, you're a fighter, Ann. I'm a. F I'm definitely a fighter. Like I'm. I'm not a. I'm. I'm if you. You push. I'm going to push back. I haven't learned what they call in here the gentle, what do they call them? No, they call them, they said everybody's predatory brain skills, everybody's predatory brain skills have remained intact. In your brain, everybody's predatory brain skills have remained intact. Okay, guess what hasn't been developed? They call it the gentle protector. The gentle protector, which means the father, mother, heart of God. The gentle protector is not only protecting and, and, and creating a culture, they're actually proactive in creating a culture of affection. They actually are so anointed 
that whatever culture they build, it's a safe culture. It's a grace-based, mercy-based culture. It's the safest place on earth. I am fighting to become a gentle protector who can create a culture of family where everybody is completely and totally safe and can go on the journey to, be, to learning to love. That's what I'm working on. The follow-up to this book is called Rare Leadership. And I believe that these two books are going to be tremendous doorways into culture, cultural transformation. Because we could, I could get a, together a, a group of business people, men and women, let's say in Laramie, we're already designing this. I've already got business people reading this book. We could pull together a group of people and begin to lay out how their lives and brains were meant to facilitate relationships at work. So rare leadership is the leadership that are gentle protectors and that create a safe environment for people to mature relationally. They don't just treat people like cogs in a machine. All right, are you excited about this stuff? In other words, out there in the world are people that are working on this with us. And we should find every one of them and get better at it. We're going to create, a, God, through the Spirit, with our help, we're going to create a safe place where we can all start getting healed from the traumas of life and ignite the right side of the brain and cause an acceleration of growth into Christ-likeness. It is helpful to have an encounter with God. Okay, that's why we like revival. We're all into presence. We love the encounters. We love intimate relationship with the Lord and the Spirit. Guess what? You still, gate moments in the Spirit will still not make you mature relationally in love. No more that becoming a born-again believer makes you literate. You tracking with me? You can be born again and not know how to read. Just because you got born again doesn't mean you now know how to read. So a lot of people think if they have a supernatural encounter with God, suddenly they will become really skilled at relationships and loving. The fact is, it takes a family to cultivate relationships. The Holy Spirit isn't going to come and take over that assignment. That assignment is for the family of God, natural and spiritual. So if the church has been dead to the point that it needs resuscitated, where are the fathers and mothers that are going to facilitate the healthy families that are going to help us to get as well? Welcome to our dilemma. That's, my, that's been my dilemma. Is for 40 years, God has been trying to take this boomer who got saved in revival in the Jesus movement and move me forward into being a spiritual dad that could facilitate this atmosphere that produces transformation. So it's been long and hard. But I'm telling you, I think we're going to hit critical mass and I think we're going to have enough breakthroughs that produce, that produce a geometric explosion. I'm counting big on it. So please, men and women, step up to the plate and don't freak out. Don't collapse when, when your, your sunburns get touched, you get hurt. It's going to happen a thousand times on the way to getting good at this. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be offended. But you've got to walk, keep walking forward through the doors that scare you. Because in the end, we're not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. So you can run and hide or you can fight. You can fight or you can fight. But here's the thing. We're not going anywhere. 
So you might as well get in there and dig down and find out where the pain pockets are and learn how to be good at this. Because in the end, we are called to love the hell out of people. So, here's what we're after. We can't just be after revival and not the restoration of the church and family because restoration of the church and family sustains revival. It actually increases it. It expands it. And so I know a lot of revivalists, they stink at relationships. They don't even want to, they don't even want to deal with people. Honestly, they don't want to have a thing to do with people. They just want to get in the room and say, come Holy Spirit. And everybody drops in and does carpet time and game, you know, then they, they had a win. And I'm, for them, for that assignment, that's their calling. Praise God, go do that. And I'm going to go to all your meetings and fall on the carpet and get soaked. I don't mind. I like that. In fact, I can do that many times. God lets me do that. But I'm very clear that once they jump up off the carpet, they're still broken in many, many ways. Even though they may have seen the Father, even though they may have had some healing, there's still nobody. The Holy Spirit and the angels aren't going to train them to be a mature son. Somebody's going to have to come along and pull the weeds and kill the bugs and grow the garden of that person's soul. And the church has really been poor at this making disciples thing, making sons thing. They've, they've really misinterpreted it of how much Bible information do you have? How long are your prayers? Not how well do you love people under pressure? How nice are you to your wife when you're tired? Tim, Oma, Dan. How nice are we to our wives when we're tired? That stuff. That, is that spiritual? Bronco, all right. No, you, you, you get in on this duff. Duff. The thing is, you don't ask that the person that you ask their spouse. Yeah. Good point. Totally. So, what we have to do, I am begging you from heaven to go on this journey and fight forward in this area of intimate relationships. We are not reducing the, the importance of revival at all. In fact, I don't think if a person, if a person doesn't have an encounter with God, on some level, with the love of God, the power of God, the, the wisdom of God, the encountering God sets us up for hunger and wanting more. It actually makes God real. So I'm, I don't think that we can move forward without that level of presence. So I'm not going to apologize ever for fighting for revival. We are going to want it and want all of it, more of it. Gate moments, all we can have. But the way is also important. And the way of long-term relationships day in and day out when you're hurt and angry and bitter and broken, those are the times you've got to punch through into new levels in the kingdom. Because that's, that's the evidence of, matu of maturity. The evidence of maturity is how much responsibility you bear in keeping relationships awesome. That's spiritual maturity. It's defined by love. How well do you love? How quality of your loving when no one's looking or a lot of people are looking. Now, the second part is impact. Because the church has been misdefined as a gathering, as a, as a building, as a clergy, it's been falsely defined. One of the resources that we're going to introduce you to later is a book called Ecclesia. 
written by Etzelvosa. And Ecclesia, he, re, he gives the proper definition of the gathering or the assembly. So when Jesus was talking to Peter, and he says, On this rock I will build my ecclesia. Matthew 16. He's not talking about the church of Rome with all of its cathedrals and robes and vicars and cardinals. He's talking about a common word. He did not notice he did not use synagogue and he did not use temple. He said upon this ecclesia, the word ecclesia, it was a common word used in Greek and Rome. And it was any citizen, any citizen that was a valid citizen, many of them had been in the military, that gathered under the name of Caesar had the ability to legislate the quality of the neighborhood they lived in or the city-state they were a part of. So if two or three people gathered in the name of Caesar with the values of Rome, the heart of Rome, they had the ability to extend the rule of Rome wherever they lived. That was called the ecclesia. It was a common term. It was a legislative term. It was a governmental term. It was a relational term with influence. So Jesus says, through you, Peter, I'm going to gather my ecclesia. Meaning, later it says in Matthew 18, when two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus in a certain jurisdiction, those three people can rule and reign and bring the kingdom of God on the earth and the gates of hell cannot withstand the ecclesia. I'm even thinking of changing the name of our DNA groups to Ecclesia groups just to honor Ed Silvosa. Because he, he started this thing called Ecclesia groups. And what he said is, here's what Paul did, the apostle. He did not go and find the religious leaders of the city because they were all jacked up with religious spirits just like Jesus found the Pharisees. He would go to the most card, carnal businessmen and women. Well, the Lydia's, the business people. The, the ones that had uh, wealth and prominence and influence, he would go to those people and he'd say, there's a new king in town and there's a new kingdom and it's not Caesar and it's not Rome. There's a new king and a new kingdom in town. And they go, what are you talking about? He goes, Jesus is here. Shaboom. He cast out their demons and healed the sick and there's a new king in town. How's about you turn your life over to this new king. You know how to serve Caesar. Now serve Jesus as the king. Because Jesus wants to have you change the culture of your city. And just like you knew how to bring it under Rome, now he wants you to bring it as a citizen under a new kingdom. So he has his Sermon on the Mount, which is the, which is the Bill of Rights and the Constitution of the Kingdom. So learn the Sermon on the Mount, learn the constitution of the kingdom, learn the new king, learn the new values of this king, and then bring the kingdom in your business. And then, as the ecclesia, whenever you gather, you guys over the table, rather than at the pulpit, you don't gather around a pulpit, you gather around a table. The table is the new pulpit. 
And in conversations together, you pick up what Jesus wants to do in the informal dialogue of breaking bread and having an agape meal. You hear Jesus talking to you about what to do in this. Gee, we've got to clean up the trash. Hey, we've got a real, we've got a real waste problem. We've got a real food problem. We've got some, you know, a homeless problem. We've got a business problem. We've got a corruption problem. All right. That's a demonic stronghold in our town. We don't like that. Demons are influencing our town. Well, we're the ecclesia. We're the legislative group. We're the official people that can change this. So right now we're going to bind that spirit of the demonic. We're going to release the spirit of the kingdom. And we're going to go create strategies to change the problem. Because we're the ruling body of this town. And it's not a vote. It's because we are the ecclesia. We're under Christ. So everywhere two or three gather under Jesus, they have an authority to bring the kingdom. They are the little church. The little ecclesia. You don't need a microphone. You don't need a building. You don't need a pulpit. You don't need a professional clergyman. You got Jesus and you got two and three people, so come and bring the kingdom. Let's do this. It's not just fellowship. It's not just, it's not just healing, although it does involve that. As we talked about oh so long. It's about intimate people in family and love and unity now bringing kingdom together because they have the authority to do it. The ecclesia. So the ecclesia is two and three. The ecclesia is 10 or 15 in a microchurch, a missional kingdom family. That's the ecclesia. If the ecclesia doesn't act like ecclesia when it gets together, it's just a fellowship group. It's just a therapy group. It's just a prayer meeting. It's got to be more than that where you guys, we understand who we are so that we exercise our authority. You have authority. And you don't have to get mature or all cleaned up before you exercise your authority. See, a lot of people think, well, I just had a fight. I've just got a bad attitude. I'm all insecure. So I've got to wait around until I get my act together before I start bringing the kingdom on earth. Eh, wrong. Not true. Our president has issues. But he has authority and he's doing and he's using his authority to do a lot of good things. But would you not agree that he's got a couple issues? They're cleaning up, I think, under the pressure of the responsibility. I don't think he's groping women. I don't think he's chasing women. I don't think he's lewd and crass anymore. I, I don't I think he's kind of done with that business. You know, I think he's growing. I'm not trying to comment on his morality or his character. I'm simply saying that even though he's got issues, he's still got authority. Now, I'm not saying he, that we shouldn't have both authority and good character. I'm voting for good character and good authority. But the fact is, even in our immaturity, we have authority. So get on with it. Every one of the neighborhoods you live, live in has got a call. You've got a call to change your apartment building. And you can bind and loose. So what's the message today? Somebody summarize. I know that's a lot, but somebody just capture, and you don't have to get it all right and be profound. Just what are a few points that you picked up that are meaningful to you? Speak into the mic. Can you hand that to Mono? Because we have, must have his, his, his voice. Yes, a wise one. <laughs> Intimacy and impact. Yes. Yes. I, yeah. 
encapsulated it. You did. <laughs> what? We need people. Say it again. We need people to grow in Christ. Yeah, we need people. What kind of people and what kind of quality of people? What kind of quality of relationship? Like, just, but see, see, you can show up. You can have people in a room. Guys, haven't you ever been in a crowd and be the most lonely person on the planet? An assembly of parts that should make it one. See? What makes here, Janet? Hold on. No, you say it in the thing. An assembly of parts, like assembling parts together, doesn't make it. Uh, doesn't make parts. it gathering parts doesn't make it unit unity doesn't make it one it's just a, an assembly of parts it doesn't it doesn't make it functional so the right the the level of the heart connection is really the baseline for the the types of unity that we are we're we're commanded to fight for unity of the spirit unity of love unity of faith those are the only three unities that you'll find in Scripture that we're to fight for. That, that's not an assembly of parts in a room. That's the, that speaks of the quality of heart connect or heart connection. You're capturing that. So actually, what, what use a different phrasing, which is exactly right, but we, the, uh, airplane parts get gathered in a hangar. That doesn't mean they're assembled intimately together to form anything meaningful. So that the connection is what Mono's saying. So you can go into a meeting and a connect, be in a room and not connect. Now here's the deal. What if the people are connecting with you but your, your bonder is broken? How many of you know that you can have a bro broken bonder? Mm-hmm. How do you know if you've made a connection? It's a bondage. A love connection. How do you know? You start spending more time together. Okay. Did you get that? You start turning more together. If you get jab razzed by Jim, you just got affection. That was affection. You just got love on. Did you feel it? That's what you do. You spend time together. That's yeah. the way you do it. Because you can say everything you want to, but if you're not connected to that person, they can, you know, we could spend all this time together here, but if we're not connected on our everyday or whatever right. issues we're having, then we're disconnected. There's not real right. relationship. So hanging out, but does hanging out ensure that there's a heart connection? No. Oops, Susan's raised her hand. This is important. I think that we know that there's a heart connection when uh, the Christ in each other flows back and forth. And you can tell when that happens. Okay, how can you tell? How can you tell? How can you tell? Mm, I'm not sure I can put it into words. You can just tell. Discernment. <laughs> yeah. Carol's using the jacuzzi word over here. I'm so proud of you. The jelly-like substance. Oh, I couldn't be happier. <laughs> now, we do need to get words for this. We do need to get words for this because words do impart reality. Words are symbols of a substance. And so I'm going to give you, I'm going to give some of the words, the Bible words. Uh, there is an affection 
that does have an energy. There's an energy called affection. And when you feel that, that shimmering plasmic jelly-like tingly vibration, vibration <laughs> of, it's a good, I call it the, um, what do I call it? I call it all that. That's a good the question. Ooze. <laughs> the ooze. Yeah. But it's like a buttery, creamy. <laughs> oh, we've never heard of that. Yeah, we have. Goodness. It's a buttery, creamy goodness that flows. You, you could feel a, an electrical light, a buttery, creamy lift. Liquid love. Liquid love. Thank you. <laughs> We're infused with liquid love. Oh, we have it in harmony. Yes. I think you misrepresented. You promised a biblical words for it. Affection. And you've gone into. I know. Buttery and creamy aren't quite you biblical. You can tell he's new. Yeah. But, but the word faith energized by love. The only thing that counts. Where's that verse? Find it quickly. The only thing that counts is faith. That worketh with love. Now the word worketh, misinterpreted. Oh, that's old English. Worketh. Sorry, Duff. Wor Duffeth. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Duffeth. I went to the worketh. Duffeth. It's faith. The word is literally energia. The energized by love. So there's an energy of affection that comes off a person that's healthy. You can also send a, met a vibe of non-energy or a vibe of black wholeness. There's a... I meet some people that are broken, and I can feel a sucking sound coming, like, like they're de a desperation sound coming out of them. They're they're like, uh, I can sense it. I can feel them pulling. You just differentiate between agape and eros. Er eros and eros exactly. Eros uses people mm -hmm. for their own gain. It's give to get. You can give to get. And a lot of people in the, in the church and in the ministry are giving to get. There's an agenda. It's mixture. It's called, it's called eros. It's a, it's, a, it's a using people for one's own self. Now, that's different than having a genuine need for affection. If someone comes up to me and says, I have a genuine need to be hugged and loved and affection and let the energy of Jesus flow from you to me, that is a legitimate and should be practiced in a family. It's up front. But if I start giving affection and love in order to, this is an awful thought, I'm not, I'm not going to use myself as an example. I don't even want you to go there. But if someone comes into our church and they start giving affection in order to get in bed with someone else, that's a wolf. And it happens all the time. Or if someone comes into a church and says, I can't wait to give you my business card so that I can have you come and buy my product. That's why I'm very concerned with, their, with that business people don't come and use the forum of family when people are open to try to get people into their MLM or into their business. And, and it becomes manipulation. You track it with me. I shut the door on that stuff because it's too dangerous it's too dangerous to open the door to, to Eros. But it's legitimate for someone to come and say, please give me a hug. I need affection. Please listen to me. I've got to talk. Just listen and don't try to fix me. Shut your mouth and just love me and hold me and let me talk. Uh, to go back to the original question, uh, not that you've you know, digressed, 
No, too I thought far. it was brilliant. Not too far, but... <laughs> no, part of how we know is, um, I think it's, uh, it's uh, fellowshipping in the light. As in, we, we no longer know each other according to the flesh, but we know each other according to the spirit. So when there is a change of life, this is the, like, mm -hmm. when our, like, divine friendship, like the divine, uh, uh, when the Christ in me comes to bear on the Christ in you, the best you will show up. Mm -hmm. So divine friendship is every time you're around people that there, there's an exchange of life and affection, the best Sue will show up. Mm -hmm. The best you will show up. And it's like the more of us, the more of you will be will be actually raised up. So, like one of the things that Jesus says to the about worshippers to the Samaritan lady is, uh, you know, the day is coming where the Father is looking for uh, not for worship, but for worshippers who worship Him in spirit and in truth. And that whole word in truth means nothing hidden, everything in the light, everything exposed. So the quality of how trans, like living a transparent life with one another, we, we say fellowshipping in the light, Philippians. Yeah. We fellowship. So we, we feel Jesus coming and speaking identity through you, through each other. So I, I, I know because I'm not depleted. After I've been with a life-giving person, I am not depleted. Even though I've spent a lot of time or working, and you feel you feel energized yeah. by heaven, and sometimes you can spend ten minutes with someone and be drained for several days, or you can sp like and not doing anything, or you can spend <coughs> like ten days in Burma ministering ten hours a day, and be on cloud nine mm -hmm. after it, where you no literally where the best you shows the. The Christ in you shows up. I think that's also part of the equation. That's fantastic. And when, when, another way of saying transparency is my inner conversation is coming into the light. Mm -hmm. But here's why, here's where it has to be safe. I have to only know your true self. I cannot get to identify you in your false self. So if your false self is manifesting... I try to encourage you to walk your false self to the cross because I'm only going to know you by the Spirit. I'm only going to relate to your true self because your false self is dead. So a lot of people say, did I make sense to anybody? Your false self, your false self is, your, is your first Adam person that Jesus died for. And so the Bible says in Galatians 2.20, I, my false self, have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. So I, I don't want to resurrect your false self and remind you of your false self every day, which is what we do when we're mad and hurt. We get vindictive and we say, well, you, oh, let me just remind you of what a creep you are. That is not fellowshipping in the light. Is, is bringing up people's false self. Fellowshipping in the light is saying, I know you're more than you think. And you're now... Your false, scared self is acting out. Could I encourage you to walk that false self to the cross and agree with the death? It's died with Christ. And now, rise up, woman of God. Rise up, man of God, because that is your true self. So a real family will only, only relate to people by the Spirit through their true, true self. 
they will never ever rub people's face in their false self. That is a healthy family. saying makes made me think of it is they call it bringing out the gold and it's basically just what you said Um, and they use that as a prophetic pattern that they really they actually train you in it if you if you do any kind of uh, prophetic class or whatever um, there's actually training and if you're prophetic and you've been used to not having any kind of guidelines or anything um, I found it at at first it's kind of challenging because prophetically you you see into people uh, you see both sides you know there, there there's a dark side and Old Testament prophets br- were called to bring you know to point it out point out the bad mm-hmm. uh, but New Testament prophets and this is again Bethel philosophy or theology. Um, is is that you're called to bring out to, to prophesy into who you're called to be? Yeah. So that's when you have said really, let's say, kind things to me. They were indeed seeing what God put in me. Mm-hmm. That that's who I really am or should yeah. be. Right. You know, it may not be exactly what I'm walking out right now. But so we all have that that who we really are, who God knit us miraculously in yeah. the womb and to be. Yeah, you know. that's what we would say. We, we agree with that and talk about it all the time. Mono's a tremendous lot on teaching this and modeling it. And we say this, true fellowship only can happen in heaven between true selves. So it... True fellowship happens when I know Jesus by the Spirit and I know you by the Spirit and I'm in the, the, the throne room. I'm in the heavenly realm. And true fellowship is when my true Spirit connects with your true Spirit and we exchange the life of Christ between us. Fellowship isn't when we, we're dropping down into our false selves and just, you know, and just working together. And, you know, I mean, so a lot of people have drinking buddies they have work buddies, they have hunting buddies, whatever, but they don't, they're not truly fellowshipping in the light. And so what, what Om and I did uh, you know, in, in the, up there in the big house was we were fellowshipping in the light while we were working, and it, and it caused the quality of our intimacy to explode because we were together doing a fun thing, kind of. Um, but we stayed in heaven. We stayed in heaven. So fellowshipping in, from, in heaven is what releases that life and calls everybody up. So that's the question is, how do you know if there's been an exchange? You're energized by the re- exchanging of life between one another. And it can feel very fun, just a lot of laughter, a lot of joking around, but there's an energy and a vibe in that. So... Probably have more content than we could probably imagine today, but what were we going to say, Anne? Oh, I just think of honesty. I mean, honesty, yeah. I don't know. And there's trust involved in everything else. But. We do say this, and this is where I would agree with what a, a past conversation you and I had about honor being misused, the culture of honor. 
We would say it's legitimate for me to come to a friend or to my wife or to you and say, I'd like to describe behavior. Let's agree upon, let's describe behavior and let's describe how that behavior affects me and you. So in other words, that behavior didn't feel good. It hit me wrongly. And that's not dishonoring you. That's describing your behavior, but I'm not judging your motive. Nor am I reducing your identity. So in order for me to grow relationally, it's very appropriate for somebody to come and say, let's discuss something that just happened or didn't happen, how it affects me without a spirit of judgment and taking responsibility for my own, my own feelings and not putting that on you. See the difference? That's how, because most people, we have blind spots and we don't know how our behavior can affect other people. So we have to be mature enough to talk about how our behaviors are landing on each other. Because then I can upgrade my behavior. Because I may not know that I'm hurting you. So, it's, they're not just, we're not just talking about superficial conversations here. We're not talking about superficially interacting and be, being this happy, clappy people that aren't like honest about you know, about what's going on right now. So, those are the things, or the, those are tools that lend themselves to maturing in Jesus. But when you're receiving that kind of thing, you know, um, you have to trust that that person is feeling that way. I mean, you're not judging either when you're receiving. You're right. saying, for some reason, this is how it's happening. This right. is how you are feeling, and it's legitimate because you are feeling this way. Correct. You have to bring legitimacy, and we say affirmation. We have four A's. Affirmation, acceptance, um, affection, and then the willingness to be of assistance to someone. Those are the four A's of, of a good response to a person. Affirmation, acceptance, affection, and then the willingness to provide assistance in other words, I am going to be part of the solution, if I can, to your growth. Now, all this is mature relational skills. This is not something we're born with. And most of us never experienced this in our whole lifetime. So to gather people together and get them in close proximity and say, let's be a family, you can't assume that anybody knows how to do this. I don't assume anymore. I used to assume a lot. I used to assume everybody had the maturity the emotional maturity, the intelligence, the emotional intelligence to do all this. And when I went through a couple of really serious setbacks, I realized we are not that skilled at this stuff. So our vision exceeded our application. Our revelation was way ahead of our application. Now I'm asking you guys, we want both revelation and application. So I'm asking, God is asking all of us to go on a journey into being tribal because it's tribes that impact cities, translocal families. You want to stand up? Isn't this amazing stuff, huh? I don't want to stay. No, you don't want to end. I'll just stay. <laughs> no, I know. I know. This is like, by the way, that's a sign of anointing is that, is that you, you just can't get enough. You can't get enough. Now, I really feel like one of the, the prime, primordial, primary things we can do, which is really important, and I love how Dan applies this, Dan Meyer, is we've got to be huggers. 
Now there's appropriate non-sexual hugging that we've got to learn when it's male and female, but we've got to learn to be huggers. We've got to be learned to look in people's eyes and listen to them and ask questions. Those simple things cause the energy of Jesus to extend. Here's another thing. If you can include other people in what you're doing, man, do it. Like if there's something coming up where you're going somewhere or doing something, and, and don't assume that it's best if you do it alone. Grab people. Grab people and bring them into your storyline. And the best place for that is meals. You're gonna, we're going to find more things happen in the kingdom if we eat a, together a lot. More things are going to happen over the table in informal relationships and doing fun things together like that than we can ever imagine. Because anointing comes out in conversations and things happen. Transformation takes place because they're life-giving. Con- and they don't always have to be profound. A lot of times we get together with different people and all we do is laugh for a couple hours and just goof off and tell stories. But it's so... That releases a lot of dopamine and serotonin into your body. What, what's the other feel-good drug? Endorphins. Yeah, what? Endorphins? Mm-hmm. There you go. So Janet, would you feel... No, you don't want to do that, do you? I did worship. You did worship? <laughs> oh. I've got to spread it around. <laughs> Carol, worship. you're a great summarizing closer prairie. Would you close okay. us in prayer? You, you really sure. got the Shondite, girl. I'll hold it for you. Oh. Father, thank you for bringing us together, Lord God, for fitting us together as living stones, for blessing us with greater revelation of who you are and what you are like, Abba, that you will bring to completion um, the work you've begun in each one of us, Lord. We don't need to fear that we're not going to make it. We don't need to worry about whether we're going to really attained the fullness of Jesus like you talk about. And so, Lord, I just thank you for Holy Spirit in us to do the work, to bring us to maturity, to knit our hearts together in oneness and in genuine affection and genuine unity of heart, Lord God, not just unity of activity. And I thank you, God, for Tim and Janet for blessing them with a vision that we can follow clearly, Lord God. And I thank you for all that's ahead of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow, thank you.